hello everyone. Uh, just wanted to share uh, my experience uh, with the media badge at the Miami Open yesterday. You know, driving up there, so I thought I should just record a small uh, podcast. I don't even know where to begin with. Uh, this is uh, this is just like uh, the moment, uh, a fanboy moment coming to total uh, conclusion. Not sure if I can top this. Uh, when we started this podcast, uh, you know, we thought, you know, maybe one day, you know, we can uh, just visit one of these tournaments. Of course, not the Miami Open, if uh, we uh, have enough uh, body of work. And for me, a fanboy, like I've uh, discussed so many times uh, on the podcast, the roots going back to India and Boris Becker, it was a different era, different times going in. Access to tennis was very limited. Uh, not like the social media days we have where, so much information is available, a lot of knowledgeable fans, which I rely on to improve my tennis knowledge every day. It was purely watching six, seven matches on TV and then following mostly a newspaper and news radio and uh, TV highlights. And considering all that and the journey that started, not missing a Wimbledon final on TV and visiting U.S. Open 15 years, I don't know if I can even begin to describe what it felt like yesterday to walk with that uh, media credential batch and uh, walk through uh, the restricted area, seeing the likes of Nick Lester, who I think is one of the best voices in tennis, uh, was taking his media badge uh, two minutes after I checked it. Uh, it was uh, un- it was just surreal, uh, because in no capacity uh, in a rational universe, me and him should be in the same working facility as, you know, I don't. I don't even even say I'm his colleague, or you know, but just, we both had the same uh, media badge, so that was unreal. I wanted to go shake hands with him, but then uh, I was still getting used to the reality uh, of this uh, new experience, and I just let him be, and also let him let myself be, just to absorb. So uh, there were a few, of course, interesting. Uh, matches, but uh, I just wanted to show, share an up-close uh, experience of uh, a media badge holder. Uh, so we were told this whole experience is uh, you can schedule interviews with players who have a match that day, and uh, the way this works is you go with a WTA and ATP rep and file your uh, application for whichever player or players you're interested in. And uh, being podcasters, I explained you know, uh, our medium is we want one-on-one time, uh, preferably for uh, our audience. Uh, may not be anything more than like 10 minutes, but we were told players don't have to do, this is called a feature segment uh, in these events, because uh, it's such a tight schedule that we all know from following the sport, practice, practice, match, media, practice. And if they lose, they really are not obliged to stick around and have a request. And uh, someone has to request for a certain player, and he or she could be a top player. If there's not even a single request, uh, sometimes there doesn't have to be an interview, which is something that I learned. And, of course, this doesn't apply to the Federer's, Williams, the Nadal, the Djokovic, because there's always demand, and they have to be part of the main media room. Uh, So there's announcements that follow, and then you have to pick and choose which player if there's multiple interviews going on. So as rookies, uh, we struggled to find a small media room where Carolina Pishkova was talking. Uh, and when I finally got there, the interview was about to conclude, and I just had my digital recorder, recorded some of it. 
But then again, you know, I was a kid in a candy store when she was walking out. I just couldn't resist and ask the WTA rep, say, hey, I just couldn't find the room. Uh, can I still sneak in a question? Not sure if you're supposed to do that because Bishkova was being moved to a smaller room where I think she was uh, doing a one-on-one TV interview with some outlet. But, of course, uh, the other outlet wasn't there, and they allowed me, and she was kind enough to take one more question, and then that was my debut, looking into, you know, possibly the future world number one, posed a question. Uh, she answered in somewhat detail. I'll share with, with you guys later. And uh, that was first blood. And then, uh, you know, uh, in your own world, you feel like you've arrived. Uh, rest of the day was just uh, covering some matches because I planned to write about some of those matches and uh, and was waiting for requests to come through. Uh, and the uh, most candid moment was with uh, Mariana Lucic Veroni again in the same room as Prishkova a couple of hours later. This time I was there on time waiting for the player to arrive. Uh, this was a very informed uh, interview from my point of view. Uh, I did some research on her. And I had a backstory, but then you don't want to make about their backstory in these interviews. It's uh, still tournament-related, but then uh, Lucid Baroni, I think the questions uh, will always uh, have a segue of what tennis has been and how it was taken away from her, how she came back. So all in all, it was a very good chat. There were four journalists, and uh, we all took turns. I had a few, few questions, which... Uh, uh, one was about Radwanska. You can see when the transcripts are released on the Miami site, and I also released the uh, audio file for that. And then uh, we covered the Hashanov uh, match. Saw some of uh, the bias and uh, Elias match, which was a very high-quality affair. And uh, again, I just would like to add, uh, Elias started the year very promising when uh, he made his cameo against the CM in Sydney. Since then, the guy is struggling. Maybe he's hitting the ball still very cleanly, but he just uh, is struggling to finish matches. He had a six-match losing streak. He snapped a few weeks ago, and it was pretty clear. Like, Zabayas and Ilias, this match is going to go the distance uh, in the third set after the split sets, and I followed that match closely in one of the monitors in the media room. And uh, last game was pretty intriguing when uh, Zabayas was serving for the match. If you guys have seen the match, he was feeling the nerves, and uh, but he was also serving some pretty good serves down the tee. And, and Elias, to his credit, really made some great returns and gave himself a chance at 30-40. We set up the point perfectly. And then he had a brain freeze, or brain freeze, you want to say, uh, at that overhead, and he just destroyed his, that just destroyed his confidence. It probably pretty much gave you an insight what he's going through because tennis players, as we all know, don't rely on teammates like other sports like basketball, soccer, or cricket, with no one's there to hold them up in a moment of self-doubt, and that was just a sheer internal battle. And, of course, that match had uh, another theme going on when uh, Elias threw the ball out and Bernardes gave him a, a warning. And, uh, again, this is my pet peeve in tennis, and uh, me and Anand have uh, disagreed so many times on this. Why is this like uh, a nurture call for someone like... Uh, Elias here, when he threw the ball out, there should be some sort of a penalty. Nothing against Elias, but we cannot have uh, two different set of rules for the same violation. And, of course, Nick Kyrgios and Ben Rothenberg, there was a tweet that's going on, and then Elias, after losing the match, he was pretty, I guess, disheartened. He took a shot at uh, Kyrgios' remark, and uh, we still haven't heard back from Kyrgios. I mean, I haven't checked, but... So that was, uh, again, the big story. And uh, how can you not talk about Nick Kyrgios, uh, all my close friends are 
uh, already uh, saying that I'm a Curious fan. Nothing wrong in being a Curious fan, but uh, I think I'm just not there to be the advocate when people are talking negative about Nick Curious. I'm really intrigued by the guy. And yesterday on the, the doubles match between uh, Curious and Reed versus Bopana and Cuevas, uh, the full Curious package was on display. A lot of times we know why major singles player take on the doubles court is sometimes practice, sometimes just to partner with some of their good mates. Nadal does it all the time with Mark Lopez and some of the Spanish guys. And uh, Roger has done it in the past. Djokovic uh, usually plays with Zimanech. So this is, again, a case curious and read. I think they've entered a few tournaments before. Uh, I was just impressed uh, how dialed Nick Kyrgios was in this match uh, to win it. And uh, this is something that sometimes you don't appreciate fully on TV. I was courtside, thanks again to uh, the media badge, and uh, we had the best seat in the house. And Kyrgios is, is amazing in a lot of ways. He's like a kid who can easily be distracted. He's so aware of his surrounding, which, again, may be a bad case because you don't see Wawrinka or Federer or Djokovic or Williams or the top players. They're so zoomed in. They're not even looking at fans. This guy is looking at fans during the warm-up. But then I was telling my friend that he will be a totally different person when the match starts. And he was so dialed in. During the points, he's still in his interactive mode. He's looking around, but then the tennis he displayed was of the highest quality. Serving, we all know, is associated with Nick Kyrgios. He's a top-notch server. But he had some really nice volleys and low slash slices at the net. And then he had a, I don't even know if it's a half volley, it's a stretch half volley. He's trying to come from the baseline and he was caught just a couple of feet before the service line. And he just put a stab in that volley. That was just pure athleticism. It was just unbelievable reach. I don't even know if I have the repertoire of words to describe what the guy did. And it's just like, he drips of raw talent. And I just suggest everyone whoever makes a trip to a tennis tournament in the near future. And if you don't like Kyrgios, still go and pay him a visit. This guy's total box office. There's no one like him out there. And then uh, the match had its moment. Uh, first, the singles players were taking over. Requivers and Kyrgios were playing really good. Then Bopana came into his own. He was a very solid doubles player. And Reed was also uh, putting on a show at the net. This match had different themes. Kyrgios broke uh, Cuevas, uh in the early a part of the first set, they were leading 3-1, then they lost four games in a row. And then in a somewhat contentious uh, game, they broke back. So when Bopanna slammed the ball uh, because, you know, he felt he shouldn't have been broken. And there was another Nick Kyrgios moment in, uh, in the match. Uh, sometimes the linesman, I guess, changed their position. So he's serving in the ad code to Cuevas. And uh, all of a sudden, he saw the, lines, the two linesmen are standing pretty close. And then one line when it's standing sideways, not facing the server. And Kyrgios just asked the chair, is he supposed to do that? And chair said, yeah, yeah, he can do that. That's within the rules. And Kyrgios said, he's never done that before. I've never seen that before. Of course, the crowd's getting into it. There's a small exchange. And like many great players in the past, Kyrgios just used that to channel himself like Becker and McEnroe, even he said, which I've seen so many times. After a small argument with Empire, would hit the ace and fire himself up. And Kyrgios just did the same thing and won the first set. Uh, this is a match I can talk more about, but the problem is this match is still not done. Uh, this will be completed today as it had a rain interruption, and later on the play was called off in Miami. But uh, I've walked away with so many things uh, about Nick Kyrgios that I didn't appreciate on TV. Uh, and I was telling my friend, of course, the book on this guy is if he's focused, how scary good he can be. But it will be unfair to talk uh, about Nick Kyrgios and not mention the solid play of Cuevas. Uh, because I was not sure because how much doubles he plays lately. 
he's to me a singles player who's just partnering around Bopanna, and I've seen Bopanna go from different partners in the last few months. Maybe he hasn't finalized a partner for the rest of the season, or maybe he's trying things out. But Cuevas showed some really good hands at the net, which uh, wasn't the case uh, at least as far as my expe- expectations were. So I'll be again dialing in for this match. Uh, Code Seven is the last match of the day. Uh, I'll make sure that I'm there to see the conclusion of this uh, this match. It's a great uh, high voltage double, and I shall hopefully share more on this later. Uh, that brings us to the Francis TFO uh, presser. This was well announced, and uh, TFO played on the center court. And uh, most center court matches, I think, uh, the pressers are done in the main media room, which has uh, uh, I didn't count, but roughly it can feed anywhere from 40 to 50 journalists. And uh, again, like fanboys and rookies, this time we don't want to make a mistake. We were the first ones there waiting. Uh, but then we find out his uh, press conference has been moved 45 minutes later. Uh, we left our bags and came back, and uh, we were there. And the media person came in and explained how this was going to work. And uh, me, along with three other journalists, uh, were there. For this uh, for this conference, and uh, ADP uh, rep walked uh, TFO in right uh, at the slotted uh, time uh, time slot, and I had the honor of asking the first question. And uh, I, I made a promise to myself uh, just not to, you know, uh, be judgmental of anyone else who was there because I don't know, you know, how esteemed they are. And knowing that he was going to play Federer, I just said to myself, I'm not going to ask too many questions about Federer because first, it's so easy. It's all love Fed so much and there's so much to do and that's an easy segue. Plus, it's, uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's okay to ask about Fed, but it should not be about Federer. It's about TFO. So I just, uh, whatever I knew and I stuck to the rules, I don't want to ask about, you know, our podcast question like how did the journey start and, you know, who was your influence? It had to be pretty recent. So, of course, I asked a question about his opponent, uh, Kravchuk. Uh, I'm not saying his name right. I'll reach out later if the pronunciation is correct. But uh, uh, TFO played two weeks in a row. So I just wanted to ask him, and that's the first question, how hard it is to play someone so back-to-back. And, of course, this time it was a very tight contest. And uh, TFO, we all know, is part of the next-gen uh, ATP promotion. And this guy seemed to have embraced the scene. I mean, playing on the big court, he has all the weapons, he has some touch, big power, good groundies, good reach. It's a total package and then uh, seemed like a really good kid, uh, came well prepared, gave good length answers. So I just uh, wish he, you know, he does become the face of uh, not U.S. tennis, but, you know, we see more of him. So yeah, when you read the transcripts, uh, and I'll also share my audio file, uh, I had the opportunity to ask I think, three or four questions at TFO Presser. And after leaving, uh, Tennis TV was coming in to do a video interview with him. And uh, this, these are all the things you knew coming in, but then once you were in the working capacity, you kind of appreciate that the demand of a Serena Williams or a Roger Federer or a Kane Shikori, how much media they do. I mean, TFO is just up and coming, and he had like three assignments back-to-back after his match. And uh, this just makes you appreciate what, you know, the Federer of the world goes through, and we demand so much of their time, you know, and Federer is so kind, always giving pictures, autograph, and fan time, but I don't even know how these guys do it. Match after match, day after day, year after year, all these, you know, uh, media demands must be pretty exhausting. So, yeah, enjoy the day. 
at Miami, if you're watching, I'll try to uh, tweet a few more things. And, uh, yeah, if you're listening to this for the first time or the second time or the 20th time, uh, please give our page a follow, TennisAxon.com. And uh, also, we have a Twitter account uh, under TennisAxon. Just give us a follow. We will really appreciate. And we do appreciate everyone who retweets and shares because it's such a new medium and such a work in progress. Uh, we wouldn't be here. Of course, Miami Open was very charitable when they put someone like us uh, pretty much on a scholarship basis. That's what I call on these um, hollow Miami grounds. But it's also because of uh, somewhat a growing audience base that I have, and I just wanted to thank uh, everyone from Anand to Ram to Akash who helped me in the technical aspects of this podcast because uh, we were such, you know, we're such newbies at this. And, of course, everyone on Twitter who I've come to know and who retweets uh, my selfish requests all the time with their audience. So much appreciated. And I'll hopefully talk to you guys again tomorrow. Uh, bye from Miami. Keep listening to Tennis with an Accent. Bye.